1: Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Lane Fargo, and I'm here with Kristen LaBianca. Hello. And we are also joined today by Amanda Jayatissa. Amanda grew up in Sri Lanka, completed her undergrad at Mills College, California, and lived in the UK before moving back to her sunny little island. She works as a corporate trainer, owns a chain of cookie stores, and is a proud dog mom to her two spoiled huskies. My Sweet Girl is her debut thriller. It's out now from Berkeley. It's actually out the day that we're recording this. So welcome, Amanda, and also happy book birthday. Yes, happy book birthday. <laughs> Thank you
0: so much, Lane and Kristen. Thank you for having me. It's so excited, uh, exciting for me to be here.
1: Yeah. We're thrilled to talk to you. We love this book. It's so much fun. It is going to be a little hard to talk about without spoiling it.
0: (laughs) It's so so twisty.
1: Like there's so many things, Um, but we will do our best. And if we accidentally do some spoilers, I'll cut them
0: out. (laughs) I promise. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about My Sweet Girl? Sure. So, My Sweet Girl is about a woman who finds her blackmailing roommate dead in their San Francisco apartment. Uh, But when the police arrive, they can't find any trace of the body or any evidence that the roommate even existed to begin with. Paloma, that's the name of our main character, she is convinced that all of this is somehow tied into her childhood in Sri Lanka and the decisions that she made to escape the orphanage where she grew up awesome
1: yeah that's so much like the plot about the roommate blackmailing her and disappearing and and all this stuff like that is the whole plot of a lot of other thrillers right yeah and that's just the setup here yeah that's just the setup it's just like the first few chapters and Um, then it goes like a very wild ride from there so yeah this book was incredible I could not put it down thank you thanks so much yeah it's very hard for me to give like too much of a synopsis
0: (laughs) without ruining things yeah
1: Absolutely. Um, So what was the inspiration behind this book? Like what, how did you come up with the original idea and like, how did it develop?
0: Um, Great question. So I was initially working on a completely different book, but when I tend to approach a story that I'm writing, I tend to approach it with this um, mentality, like plot twist or big reveal first. That is always the first idea that I have. Um, But I was working on this book and I had this plot twist in mind but the book wasn't working. It just, the characters weren't coming together right. It, the story wasn't gelling. I was just trudging my way through it and very, very, very deeply unhappy. Uh, and then um, my frustration hit its peak, interestingly, at a very unfortunate encounter with my bank. Um, You know, it was one of those terrible incidents where, uh, you know, you could swear they're getting it wrong. And it was very frustrating. And I was seething inside and so angry. But I had to put on this mask, this face, uh, where I was smiling and pleasant and, and thanking them, even though, you know, they've totally bungled up my paperwork. And it was took to about an hour of my time. And I was really, really annoyed and irritated. Um, after this, I escaped to my favorite cafe. And I ordered the largest cup of coffee that I could, you know, get my hands on. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, everything is better once you're caffeinated, right? And Yes. So um, after I was, you know, I drank this whole cup of coffee, I was feeling a lot better. And I pulled out, you know, my notebook and a pen, and I started sort of rage writing, I was writing all these really angry, mean thoughts, um, that, you know, (laughs) I was, I was thinking it, but I was not wanting to say it out loud. And it's just this, this dam broke (laughs) somehow and I was just (laughs) rage writing and, um, You know, I was letting myself think these uncharitable thoughts that I think as women, especially, we're conditioned not to think, we're conditioned not to say them. Um, And while I was doing that, I realized I was having so much fun. (laughs) And I thought, you know what, I want to see if I can tie this into a character somehow, a character that can really give a voice to um, some of the frustrations that we feel as women, um, that I have felt as a brown woman um, navigating, you know, white spaces. Like, how can I take all of this and put it into this character? And uh, that's sort of where Paloma was born. And then I took. Um, that story that I was working on and I gutted it out completely and just took out like the bones of like the plot twist uh, and the elements that I liked. And I wove it into this other story in this background in San Francisco, where I had spent um, quite a bit of time myself and yeah, it seemed to work. Um, so that's how my sweet girl came about. It, it really started with
2: Paloma.
1: Yeah, I love that. And rage writing is the best kind of writing. I think we all agree here, right, Kristen?
2: (laughs) Yes. It's like one of the best parts of being um, a crime writer is the ability to punish people that you can't punish in real life. Mm -hmm. Um, So.
1: Write down all the things you can't say out loud. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. My best friend um, got me this mug today as a publication day present. And it says, please don't annoy the writer. She may put you in a book and kill you. And um, that is really, that is so true. Yes,
2: (laughs) I love that.
1: Yeah, Paloma has such a strong voice and like is so much fun to read. Like the meaner she is, the more I'm like just loving it, kind of like laughing along with
2: everything. And yeah. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Yes, she is. She is completely unfiltered and I love it.
0: (laughs) I love I love her head anyway. Yeah, exactly. That's what that's what I loved um, about writing her is that um, it was fun to give myself permission to get as angry as I liked. Um, which I have always felt that I couldn't be, right? Um, and I don't, and, and it's very funny because a lot of people come and ask me, they're like, oh, are you Paloma? Do you have a lot of Penta Bridge um, inside of you? you know, <laughs> One of my friends actually, and a very early reader of the book, um, he he called me up afterwards and he said, you know what, I, I know what to get you for your birthday. I'm going to get you a pinata. Uh, and I was like, what, why? He's why <laughs> like, you, look, you sound like you just need to beat the something up really badly. I was like, oh no. I was <laughs> uh, so writing paloma was the only release I needed. <laughs> I did not need to beat anyone. <laughs> but yeah, um it was just it was really fun to give myself permission to think in a way that I've been taught not to. So for me that was why I really enjoyed writing her story.
2: And I think that you know characters often get labeled with that that unlikable label mm-hmm. when they do things that are outside of what we as a society generally deem as acceptable behavior so it's mm-hmm. like you know even if even if she's not being unkind to someone's face like mm-hmm. she's she is thinking in a way that is going to get her labeled as unlikable and it's it's like it's kind of ironic because the more unlikable characters are the more we love them here
1: <laughs> here yes but it's like if anybody's internal monologue was like written down or recorded or made public like we're all jerks I think oh like, yeah everyone has sure charitable.
0: Oh, yeah, 100-, yeah. 100%, 100% I'm like I'm glad no one has you know f- front row seats to what goes on in my head like it's a hottie in that no one needs to see that I think another interesting thing about Paloma
1: is how she really kind of weaponizes people's expectations of her right like mm-hmm. she is an immigrant and she's an orphan she's a brown woman she's like all these things that like these white spaces that she's moving in people have certain expectations of who she is and how she should behave mm-hmm. and she is incredibly aware of that and uses it to manipulate people I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit I found that so fascinating Sure. Um,
0: and I think that's one of the things that really came out Almost like unconsciously, it wasn't something that I I thought about too much when I was writing. But as, um, you know, it it kind of took on this this voice of her own um, or the character took on a voice of its own. It's something that kind of developed over time because I started sort of thinking, like, why shouldn't she? Right. She's been, yeah. you know, she, she's been dealt this hand and it's not all bad. And she's very good at recognizing what could work to her advantage and what couldn't. And the things that sometimes worked to her advantage were these terrible stereotypes that she was fed up of. But hey, like she recognizes that she could use this and, you know, something that's been disadvantageous to her perhaps her whole life or something that's been um, viewed for her as almost this thorn this in her side, she can now use this um, to get what she wants. And that's a really cool thing about her. It, it is a little, it is not a little, it is quite manipulative um, and she knows what she's doing, but... I think Mm -hmm. she's also real enough to acknowledge that I think everyone does that to some degree, right? Like, we're all dealt a hand and we're all playing with the cards that we have. And she's like, why shouldn't I? You know, um, how many times do people use certain privileges that they have, um, you know, that they were just, you know, given at birth, like just by luck of birth, they've got certain privileges. And um, how many times do people weaponize those? all the time right so why shouldn't she why is it wrong when a brown woman does it as opposed to like a white man
1: yeah i don't think it's wrong at all i mean (laughs) the only reason she's able to manipulate people in this way is because of these stereotypes and expectations Mm -hmm. that they have like if they would just see her as a full person and like get to know her and everything they wouldn't she wouldn't be able to manipulate them like that but she you know they see her in this certain way, and she she sees that and uses it against them like that's serves them right, honestly
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah i I really like that and i and then another um sort of aspect of her that I really loved was um uh, uh, the way the dynamic changes when she meets Sam in the story mm. because he's someone obviously who um manages to draw her mind back to her past where she was a different person right so when she lived in Sri Lanka and you know when she was growing up in the orphanage she uh, spent her youth obviously her mind wasn't working in the way that it's working when she's an adult so it sort of um you know calls her back to that and you can see almost this this softness come out with a sense of nostalgia and I really liked adding that extra dimension to her that was um a lot of fun. It was also fun to bring in these Sri Lankan elements with this adult Sam, you know, and and the way he was speaking and and bringing in those Sri Lankan elements was a lot of fun as well.
1: Yeah, and her resistance to it and kind of like internally making fun of him for these things that she recognizes as Sri Lankan and mm-hmm. yeah, that was so interesting the dynamic between the two of them.
0: Yeah, and 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 I was really um I was really nervous when writing it because um, I mean, Sam's one of my. It was one of my favorite characters, but at the same time, I was very nervous about writing about their interactions because I didn't want it to seem cheesy. But it was cheesy because Sam is cheesy, um, and Paloma <laughs> in the best way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love. I, I mean, Sam was my. He was a favorite character of mine to develop. So it was. Um, yeah, it was so much fun, and I was like, okay, how cheesy can I make him without? you know making him a total caricature but it it was a wild ride (laughs) I think in
1: thrillers too when you have a character like that who's kind of cheesy and sweet it's so like suspicious to readers who are used to reading thrillers (laughs) you're just immediately like what is this guy's game like he can't be this nice I don't know you
0: use that to really good effect as well (laughs) oh yeah yeah for sure (laughs) for sure and um I mean I'm not gonna say too much obviously but (laughs) no no but yeah And, and and that and that but that in itself is why I love the genre. It's why I love reading thrillers. It's why I love thriller readers, is that whenever we see somebody nice, immediately it's like warning bells go off <laughs> in your mind. Yeah. You're like, yes. no, he can't be that nice. Cal oh, something's not right here. You know, so there's always that, that element.
2: Yeah, we're always questioning the motives of like literally everyone. <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: on the page and in life sometimes honestly <laughs> yep <Yeah>. um,
0: <laughs> yeah, I was reading um one of my friends uh, cozy mysteries um her name is Olivia Black she wrote this awesome cozy called killer content and in that um there's one character that shows up uh you know and and she's being really nice and she cooks the main character dinner and it was so funny because we have a little group and and all the thriller writers in the group were like oh, that that lady, she's so suspicious. Something's wrong. Like, why would you just show up and do something nice for someone? That makes no sense.
1: <laughs> like in a cozy, there are like nice people in cozies. You can't suspect every nice person in a sure, cozy. Sure,
0: that it, it throws me off. That's what it does. These cozies there are too many nice yeah. people.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I read Mia Manansala's book, Arsenic and Adobo, and I definitely like, coming from reading mostly thrillers, I was so suspicious of everyone
2: and many of the characters were just like sweet, lovely people. I felt bad. (laughs) (laughs) What is it about thrillers that made you want to write thrillers?
0: Oh, uh, great question. I've always loved books that had some sort of element of mystery to them. I think that's because, so growing up in Sri Lanka, I had very limited access to um, books outside of, I guess, sort of the classics. and and But one type of book that I did have a lot of access to was like Famous Five and Secret Seven, and, you know, those Inid Blyton books. Um, and so I ended up reading quite a lot of especially Famous Five books, I think, growing up. And that introduced me to this idea, or I think just uh, this idea of loving mystery sort of took root there. And then... As I got older, I've obviously liked books with creepier elements to them, you know, um, started off with kind of reading a lot of Ariel Stein when I was younger, then going on to Stephen King, which is still love, um, and then uh, Shirley Jackson, which like blew my mind. And uh, then I think everything kind of got turned around and um, spun on its head when I read Gone Girl. Uh, because Mm -hmm. I I think that was (laughs) that that first book that I read with this, um, sort of this unlikable female character who was just, oh, she was so mesmerizing. And I remember reading it and it was like three in the morning and I got to that, you know, like that twist and I just sat up in bed and shouted like, you gotta be like, well, I was a very colorful language. I'm not going to um, state all here, but um, but you know, I was like, oh god, you, you know, you've got to be kidding me. You woke up my poor husband who was so confused, and um, <laughs> and I think that's what really sparked this love of thrillers, but not just your standard thriller, thriller that thrillers that center women who have this like almost edge to them. Right. And um, I mean, it went on. I've obviously I've read everything that Gillian Flynn has written, Um, you know, Girl on the Train after that. uh, And it's just just so on. Like Jessica Knowles, um, Luckiest Girl Alive, books like that, where you have these female characters, female main characters, and they're not your typical women that you've sort of been conditioned to envision as your heroine in a book. Um, that's what I loved.
1: It, Gillian Flynn is like the origin story for so many of us. Like Gone Girl was <laughs> totally formative for me too. Mm-hmm. I wrote like a completely different kind of book as my first book, which will never see. The light of day it was like dystopian <laughs> or something. Right. And um, then I read Gone Girl and it just changed my life. <laughs> yeah,
0: it does. It does. She really is sort of, Gillian Flynn is like, she gave birth to, I think like the like thrillers with these female voices the way we know them mm-hmm. today. Um, I think she's just fantastic. I couldn't, I, I mean, like, I'm just such a big fan girl. It's ridiculous.
1: She's awesome. Yeah, I I met her once when I was like a little baby writer oh, wow. and I was completely tongue-tied and like a total dork. Like, I just,
0: <laughs> it's so amazing. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be me. I mean, if I were ever that lucky, that would totally be me. I'll just stand there with like my jaw hanging to the floor or something. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So I wanted to talk, um, we've talked about Paloma a little bit, but I also wanted to talk about another character in this who is, I think, quote unquote, unlikable in a completely different way, which is Paloma's adoptive mom, Elizabeth Evans, mm-hmm. who we see mostly in the like flashback chapters that she's a uh, big presence in Paloma's adult life as well. And she's this, well, why don't you tell us about her? She, she's kind of, she seems like too perfect, right?
2: <laughs>
0: well, to young Paloma, she is perfect. And mm-hmm. that is sort of the point. And I think when you're, especially when you're young and even to older Paloma, I think um, it's it's very interesting. A- and I had a very interesting time writing Mrs. Evans because Mrs. Evans is, I think, a big combination of a lot of um, older women that I have met in my life who are very well-meaning and have mm-hmm. the best of intentions. But their execution is a little questionable, right? <laughs> uh, and, and it's it's not necessarily their fault. Um, and I draw, I, I always go back to sort of the time that I spent in the Bay Area and where I came across a lot of people who were, I think, similar to her, who had these great intentions and and um, you know viewed um, say different cultures with a sort of reverence, but up to a certain point, as long as it was comfortable to them, and then after a certain uh, line was crossed, they were like, okay, no, I can't handle, I can handle these these parts of your culture, but I can't handle the rest. And at the time, especially when I was there, this term of like microaggressions, those those things are not, um, were not things that I I knew, we weren't privy to that kind of language at the time. Uh, right, these are new mm-hmm. new terms that we're we're now only now starting to wrap our heads around, I think, and understand. But I remember um when I was in the Bay Area being told certain things and sort of laughing it off, but not feeling very happy inside, feeling kind of upset or feeling a little bit icky, uh, and not really being able to put my finger on it, right? You know, I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna laugh along with everyone, or I'm just gonna smile and act like everything is fine because that's what's expected of me. And that's sort of what happened to channel its way into, like that was the energy that made its way into Mrs. Evans' character where she definitely meant well and she definitely had a sort of a love and appreciation up to a point for Paloma's culture and where she came from as long as it didn't inconvenience the narrative that she had already set up for herself and her perfect sort of existence and this perfect family that she was trying to um you know uh, develop for herself
1: yeah that's exactly it it's like it's this narrative she's created that she's this like charitable like angelic rich woman who's gonna save Paloma from her horrible childhood mm-hmm. and like that's what she sees herself and I think that's how like people in her community see her like she gets that award i um, calling her the angel of the bay and all this stuff mm-hmm. and she looks very angelic but it's all just this this narrative and she's actually done a lot of harm that <laughs> she's not aware of like through her well-meaning I just yeah I thought she was interesting to see her through like all these
0: different perspectives sure and, and the thing about her is that I mean, up to a point, she did save Paloma. She did give her access to a fantastic mm-hmm. life. She did give her all the things that she was sort of, you know, that Paloma wanted uh, growing up. Um, but at the same time, she didn't realize the damage she was doing. It, it wasn't like she was this evil villain that, you know, had this master plan and, and she, she knew what she was doing. She had no idea what she was doing. And I think a lot of people don't, a lot of well-meaning people, um, you know, w- w- men and women who donate to charities, who, uh, you know, try to help out in um, certain aspects. I-, I don't think that they're totally aware of um, some of the harm they might do. So, yeah, it's just, she's not a villain. She's just no someone that is not very self aware or aware of the struggles that a woman like Paloma might face in her situation.
1: Yeah. And she's like never had to be like, she is privileged Mm -hmm. and white and beautiful and like all of these things. And so she's just never had to like grapple with any of that and live this sort of charmed life. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, there are so many people like that. I assume a lot in San Francisco since there's a lot of wealth there. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, very fascinating character to see in like opposition to Paloma. Even though she's she's not a villain, but she's kind of an antagonist in a way. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know, I thought she was very fascinating. Mm-hmm.
2: I really like how, um, like in at the beginning of the book, something unknown to the reader has happened that has left Paloma's parents very disappointed in her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really like how you use the idea of like parental disappointment as a driver of suspense. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's a that's like a very like modern uh, way to create suspense in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you'd do it really well. <laughs>
0: oh, that's just the salvation in me coming out. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, I mean, I joke, my my, my parents are great um, and I've never had to like worry about disappointing them or, or anything like that. But, um, <laughs> but it, it is, I think, very prevalent in South Asian culture where, you know, um, it is something that you have to be very much aware of when you're making certain decisions and you're doing certain things. So that was a little bit of that called on um, as well, because Paloma did grow up. Uh, in an environment, I mean, at least until she was 12, that did, um, you know, have that focus on like, listen to your elders, respect your elders. And it's very much a cultural thing that's driven into you from a very young age. So it seems only realistic that adult Paloma would manifest some of that in her life, even though her parents, I mean, her parents did get disappointed in her and, and they didn't want to speak to her. So, hey, I mean, I guess they're they weren't so different from South Asian parents, but uh, uh, <laughs> but I really did want to bring in that that aspect too. <laughs> um I was wondering
1: if you might want to talk about kind of the process of like selling this book and working with your editor is Jen Monroe, right mm-hmm. at Berkeley. Yes, that's right. Who also edits Samantha Downing. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of like a legend in her own right. So yeah, I was just curious like how that process went, like the the sale of the book and working with her and um, how much it changed maybe from that initial draft? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, sure. So I worked on the uh, sort of the the draft that I queried with um, for about 11 months, a little less than a year, I think. And then I was very, very lucky to meet my absolutely fantastic agent, um, Melissa Donasco. Um, she really, I think, took the story and gave me some like amazing advice that just tightened things up and made it that much stronger and better. So we spent a few months um, on a couple of edit rounds that made it, I think um, to a great extent what it is uh, today. And then it was, it was really awesome because very recently Melissa sent me a photo of the list that she made up of the editors that she'd like to submit this book to after our very first a phone conversation when she made me an offer, um, and the very first name she'd written on that list was Jen Monroe from Berkeley. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I like I couldn't believe it when I saw it, and yeah, and so we sent it out on submission. And you know, when you when a book goes out on submission, um, there you have a lot of expectations, but you also try to keep your excitement reined in because you know that there's a good chance that it could take a very long time for something to happen um but uh I think before the week was out uh Jen had emailed Melissa my agent and said that she really liked the book and then of course like I'd read My Lovely Wife right so I was Mm -hmm. like I was like oh my goodness I just I want this to work so so badly and yeah and then we hopped on a call and I knew I think after that first phone call that I definitely, definitely a hundred percent wanted to work with Jen because she really got um, the the story that I was trying to tell. She got, and she really, I think what was really important for me was that she got Paloma and she didn't want me to really censor her in any way. And she was very um, conscious of the fact that some of the story of some of the incidents that Paloma had to face were incidents that I've had to face. And so, um, you know, it was really wonderful working with her. she, Gave me, um, again, a lot of really good ideas to tighten up the story, uh, including that final um, chapter, uh, which I'm not going to mm. talk about. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let's just say it was completely different. It took a completely different direction in um, an earlier version. Uh, and it was a little happier in that version too but then we just went full dark with this one <laughs> um <laughs> and yeah and I and I love it and um and honestly I um because I very briefly many many years ago in a very small scale self-published um as this was a while back but I Absolutely loved traditional publishing because of this collaborative process. I love having, you know, an agent and an editor that I can bounce ideas off and um, who give me this this feedback um, and have helped really, in essence, shape Paloma to, to who she is um, at the end. So I honestly love the process so much.
2: It's so awesome to like find an agent and an editor that you feel like really understands Mm -hmm. the characters that you're writing about and they just get your story. It's it's just such a wonderful thing. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep, that's right. I think especially because I have... And Paloma really is one of those lover or hater characters, right? And and, and I don't, honestly, I, I don't expect everybody... To like her, or um, you know, and I have had you know various feedback over time saying, you know what, um, I think she's too abrasive, or I think um, she swears too much, or and and there is that is something that I have heard before. So to work with people who really understand what I was trying to get at, you know, that yes, she does use very bad language, but it's all only in her head. She never says it out loud. I think much like. Quite a few of us do. Um, But but to to work with people who really get that, it makes such a huge difference. I'm so grateful for it.
1: Yeah, and someone who's not trying to censor that character, Mm -hmm. like you said, and sand her down. and Because I've heard stories from other writers where they had a character who was kind of like that and then the editor's like oh well we should change this to make her more likable or more palatable to the reader and I mean you have to know working with Jen like having read My Lovely Wife really? and Samantha's other books like she's not gonna do that
0: yeah. <laughs> she's gonna go all the way yeah yeah I love that I love that about her it's, it's been so wonderful <laughs> so there's this motif in the book
1: of withering heights mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. as well Amanda yeah. um, like that when Paloma's in the uh, orphanage. She's reading a copy of Wuthering Heights and that's what catches mm-hmm. the eye of Mrs. Evans and kind of convinces her to adopt Paloma. And I was just wondering if you would talk a little bit about that, because there are these parallels mm-hmm. between Paloma and Heathcliff, I was noticing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: That's right. Um, so it's interesting. With the way I write, because I don't usually think too deeply about themes on the earlier drafts, right? There are things that I always try to tease out as the story progresses and so on. Um, but I always knew that I wanted there to be a certain um, element to the adoption and a bit of a conflict surrounding a book. And... I thought, hey, um, as a nod to my mother, who was very supportive of me as a writer, and um, she passed away 11 years ago. Um, but I, her favorite book was Wuthering Heights, and she had me read it when I was 12, which is the same age as the girls in the story. And um, so I thought, hey, as a nod to her, let me put in Wuthering Heights. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, hey. That's right. I do see these parallels. I do see things that um, kind of connect the two stories. And then obviously I played off that a little bit. You know, there, there are orphans and there are so many orphans, right? If you look in in a lot of classical literature, there are so many stories um, with orphans that are referenced again uh, through the book itself. And it was just a really fun way of bringing in this story that to me um, at 12 played kind of this really interesting role and then I just thought hey it'll be a fun sort of nod to my mom and I put it in and and it worked so that was uh, that was how that ended up (laughs) there
1: yeah because it has all this thematic resonance it's really interesting um I just reread Wuthering Heights recently I hadn't read it since high school I don't think and I forgotten Because I was remembering, you know, like the Wraith finds movie version and everything that Heathcliff is described in the book as as not white, like they never specify mm-hmm. what his race is. But mm-hmm. a lot of the prejudice that he faces is because of his skin color, not just his social class. Yeah. And that gets lost in a lot of conversations about Wuthering Heights, but it like definitely made me think of that reading reading this and like Paloma's Mm -hmm. kind of relationship to the book and Mm -hmm. yeah I love when things like that are completely kind of like accidental like you just put it in there as a tribute to your mom and then it actually has all of this dramatic weight and meaning yeah no I love. it you just think like your subconscious is working on that
0: (laughs) yeah no I think um, to some sense it was like okay I understand there's this um, sense of not belonging and then I think it was sort of kind of like a midway through the book or midway through a, a rewrite or, or a edit of the book where I was like, hey, let me just read Wuthering Heights again. Uh, because I mean, like you, I, I don't think after your teenagers, years, um, you, you tend to really reread those books too often. So I hadn't read it in, in quite a while. And yeah, and then I remember reading it and thinking, oh goodness, there's a lot here. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to connect. So that was um, that was a lot of fun to do.
1: Well, what are you working on now?
0: I am working on, um, we're actually just doing the, I think one of the more final rounds of edits on book two. Um, I don't know how much I can talk about it, but I can say that it is set in Sri Lanka, but in a completely different setting to uh, the one in My Sweet Girl. Um, This one takes place in sort of Colombo High Society, and it centers around... um, uh a, Sri, a big Sri Lankan wedding and um, again there are two very interesting female narratives um actually there are quite a few narratives in this the, the story but the main two the main two women um, were very very different, different from Paloma and different from each other and just um, again very fun to sink my teeth into and write.
1: That sounds awesome! I can't wait to read it. Do you know when it's going to be out? Is it like next year, or do you not have a date yet? Um,
0: I was told next September, so that's um, a year from now. Okay, that's pretty soon. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting <laughs> with, with in, in publishing time. In publishing time, yeah, yeah, no, and it, and it's so <laughs> funny because I remember when my um when my deal announcement came out, it was a about a year ago and I, I remember saying to my husband I was like oh I don't know how I'm going to be able to wait for an entire year that sounds like so far away and then it just flew by and there was so much to do and at the end I was like oh my <laughs> goodness okay I understand now why they say um, you know it takes like a year and a year is a short period of time in publishing so yeah
1: <laughs> yeah time is bizarre in publishing it That's really is sure. it's fast
2: and slow and it's increasingly like in, I always say publishing is basically just a bunch of uh, increasingly intense periods of waiting.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that never stops. <laughs> and it never stops ever.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's really wild for me because I live in Sri Lanka, and the time difference is like we're about half, like half a day ahead of the US. So I get all mm-hmm. my exciting emails and things through the night. So I've gotten into this really ha- bad habit of like waking up in the middle of the night and checking my phone because I'm, you know, hoping for oh. news and things like that. And I need to, uh, you know, especially this last month has been so exciting that I've just my sleep cycle is completely whacked now. <laughs> oh, I need to get it back. On track. <laughs> yeah, I'm bad
1: about that. And I'm only like an hour off from New York, so I can imagine. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, well, we have a few minutes left, so I have to ask you. Please tell us about your very spoiled huskies. Oh. <laughs> we are dog and cat people here, and I want to know all about oh, them. Oh, <laughs> they
0: are just um, so. I've had to like lock myself in this room now because Hector, the the my bigger one, he stands on his hind legs and he can like open. Door handles. Um, yeah, so he just like he gets really upset when he's not been given too much attention. Um, they're both incredibly spoiled. Like, they, you know, if they're not walked exactly when they need to be walked, and if they're not fed exactly when they need to be fed, and they're not given belly rubs exactly when they need them, um, they, uh, especially Hector, the older, bigger one, um, he does this thing where he likes. I call it he sings the song of his people where he just sits down no. and he howls and howls and howls um oh no but they're they're the best i honestly don't know how we would have gotten through like lockdown and the pandemic without them um you know i mean they literally very literally got us out of bed in the morning
2: um <laughs> yeah I'm really not sure how people who don't have pets have gotten through the last
1: year and a half mm. I don't know I have a dog too and like if I don't have a dog I wouldn't have gone outside for months yeah. <laughs> it just forces you to get up and go out and, and like smell fresh air and just be in the world for sure
0: yeah it's so important um, and, and I think it's it's really nice to have that like driving force I guess and and I mean I have to admit um, like the unconditional love is pretty awesome so mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Dogs are great. I love Huskies, too, because they, they're often like kind of talkative, right? Mm-hmm. Like they'll like sing and howl and like make yes. <laughs> like little noises. And there's a lot of uh, really cute YouTube videos of Huskies doing that that I enjoy. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. And what's really interesting is that, um, so there are two of them. Um, it's uh, Hector's uh, the older one and there's Harley. Uh, and they have such different personalities. Hector is this big like the lazy lump who just wants to sit there and eat everything. And Harley's like this little <laughs> adventurer who totally bosses Hector around. And she's a lot smaller than him as well, but she will like bully him. She will boss him around. She's very much like an alpha female and um, love it. <laughs> and it's ridiculous. She recently got in a tussle with a porcupine um, that had made its way oh. in. And it was, re- it was so scary for me and my husband um, because she got a quill sort of going through her eyelid, and we we thought she would have lost an eye. It was so scary, um, but we like managed to slowly like pull this quill out, and she was totally fine. She was trying to go back outside and like show that porcupine <laughs> who's boss. Um, was, <laughs> she just did not care. She's a little she's a little warrior that one. Ah,
1: <laughs> oh, it's so cute. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been a fabulous conversation. Um, so do you want to tell people where they can find you on the internet, your social media
0: handles and such? Mm-hmm. Um, so my website, everything is pretty easy. It's all my name. Uh, so my website's is Um, On Instagram and Twitter, it's just um, at AmandaJayatissa. And on Facebook as well, it's just like the slash AmandaJayatissa. My uh, pre-order links uh, for everything, um, for I think most of the stores are on my website, but you can find um, copies of My Sweet Girl wherever books are sold
1: and I assume you can find pictures of these adorable huskies on your Instagram account right oh yeah
0: they are very much the stars I mean like the last few weeks have been mostly book news but I occasionally get messages from people like why haven't you uploaded a photo of your dog <laughs> recently just put the books next to
1: the dog it's fine Yeah, no, I mean,
0: like <laughs> the best marketing oh yeah I've totally used them for that I'm like hey sit still I'm going to take like and, and, I, and now they're kind of fed up of it like if they see me approaching them with a copy of my book they run away so they are kind of you know, <laughs> <laughs> I love that
1: Aw, <laughs> they're
0: like no not this again
1: thank you so much and um, I hope you have a great release day I know it's like late in the day there so you'll probably be up late tonight but um, congratulations on the release of the book and um, people are going to love this one it's so fun and twisty and it's going to cause a lot of conversation I think yes definitely
0: Well oh, thank you so much and thank you so much for having me on the show this was so much fun